Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Friends. Before we begin, I just want to give a little disclaimer. This live stream may discuss trauma of all sorts to include all types of abuse. Viewers and listeners may find it unsettling and triggering. The guests on our live streams reflect a diverse set of values, morals, and ethics that may not reflect the morals, values, and ethics of the misfit Amish. But if this live stream causes you distress, please seek support from your trusted folks and qualified mental health professionals as needed. You may also cease listening until you're able to listen again. And before we begin today, today we're going to talk about Amish romance novels. So y'all might want to grab onto your hats and bonnets and your kappa, hold on to your buggy seats. You know, you really are going to need to to have a solid grip on reality, to be able to listen and hear with open hearts and minds from some people that were raised in Amish and Anabaptist churches. And with that being said, I'd like to welcome our guests today. If y'all would like starting with Rebecca, go around and introduce yourself. Hi, so first of all, thank you so much, Mary, for um, making this happen. Um, I was telling my husband, it's always fun to have you on my message board because I never know when we're going to break out into Amish song or Lopleet or, you know, <laughs> all the things. So I enjoy having you there. Um, so I was, my mom was raised Amish and was Amish pretty much until she married my dad. Um, and from there we lived in five different communities and they were all variations. Someone had recently said they feel like they're an Amish Mennonite mutt. And I'm like, yeah, that, that describes it. Um, and currently I am a senior in college. I'm this close to graduating. So I'm kind of excited about that. And I'm excited to be here today. Thank you. Thank you for that, Rebecca. What about you, Naomi? Did I say it right? Naomi? <laughs> Naomi? I, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. I've got a long, long list of, uh, of variations of my name. So I'm Naomi and I, well, my mother was also raised Amish and then uh, she left as an adult. Um, my Dad was raised uh, Beachy Amish Mennonite, and um, and that's what I was raised um, uh, as a PK, no less. Um, and that was in central Pennsylvania. Uh, but then as a young adult, um, I left and I eventually found my way to college and then uh, never left. Uh, well, I yeah, uh, I'm, I'm a professor now. So um, and I'm uh so grateful to you, Mary, for um, organizing this panel and organizing this conversation. Um, I've had so many thoughts about this topic since um, I left back in um, 97. So it's been a while now. Um, and I might also mention that Rebecca and I, uh, about a year ago, or almost a year ago, started a podcast um, uncovered life beyond, uh, and it's for first generation, non-traditional college students who are leaving high demand religion. So very, very niche group. Um, but we're having a lot of fun with that. Thank you. 
I'm not even going to say your name. I feel like I'm going to butcher it every time. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, what about you, Ruth? So um, my dad was grew up, well, he was born into a sleeping preacher Mennonite, which is its own kind. Um, and I can go into that later if we need to. And then his family joined the Old Order Amish Mennonite. No, sorry, the Old Order Amish, where he met my mom. She was the bishop's daughter. And then they got married, had a billion of us. Um, and then when I was 15 or 16, I'm not exactly sure on all like the different ages, um, we left the Amish. We started attending like a pilgrim Mennonite church um, for about a year. Never became members, so it was that really awkward. Like we attend there, but we're not part of them. And then we joined the charity church. Um, so kind of all over the place, moved to all the different states. Um, and then I left almost exactly three years ago. Um, so, you know, I'm still trying to find my way in a world that I was conditioned to specifically fail in and, um, and thrive. But, yeah, that's, that's a short rundown of my story. Yeah. Thank you, Ruth. I'm really glad you're, you're all here today. What about you, JC? I'm JC, um, military brat, um, was raised independent fundamental Baptist, um, got dragged through a lot, ended up in the Eastern Pennsylvania Mennonite conference. Um, we left that and we left family behind there who ended up floating through charity and about every other offshoot possible while continuing being dragged through things until I finally said, sorry, the train is stopping at this point. <laughs> so, I'm a mom of many copy editor and enjoying my life as a clerk. Thank you. I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation because as, as many of you know, like, I, I think especially like what Ruth is experiencing now, when we first escaped, like we all had some experiences with people whose, whose eyes light up because they read Amish romance novels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you? Did you, oh. did you have any of you had experiences? I just recently at a holiday party at work. Um, no, no, it was somewhere else. I mentioned my background and someone said, oh, you're so lucky. Yeah. I had a guy, I had just started a new job and within the first week, he somehow found out I was on his eye. It was something that I specifically wasn't telling people. And so this middle-aged dude, clearly married, he's wearing a ring and everything. He comes up to my desk and he's like, oh my God. I just heard your Amish, and he was like, I was like, I'm not anymore. He was like, but can we pretend, can you pretend that, like, you're Amish, and I'm not, and we meet in Walmart, and we had this 
beautiful moment where eyes meet and like love at first sight and I was like no and he's like can we get married and I was like no and what the heck is going on because this is this is work how dehumanizing not even just that, but this is like a perfect example of the fetishization of Amish yeah. women. Amish women are fetishized by dominant culture society. And when we escape and we exit the culture and we become non-practicing, this is what happens everywhere we go. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're an object. Will you fulfill married. my fantasy? Yeah. He was fired, by the way. He was fired. I mean, thank goodness for small Good. miracles. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that part of what happens with this is that when we experience this inside of our own cultures far too often, we are taught things like the booklet from To a Girl of Eleven, which tells us as, you know, 11-year-old girls, like, don't climb up ladders in front of your brothers. And I'm summarizing here. I could bring out the booklet and read it, but it's kind of disgusting. Or it tells us if, if our brothers lust after us, you know, it's our fault because we, we are the ones who entice people to lust after us. Anybody who lusts, we're just another object yet again. So when we escape and we feel free and we are free from that specific environment and those specific types of teachings, then we discover that there's a whole other culture out here that looks at us as objects because one of the things that I've experienced is where I feel like when you have a friend group and you have events, you're disproportionately expected to host events. You're disproportionately expected to bake food. You're disproportionately expected to perform manual labor and you're expected to be happy about it. And the reason we're talking about this is because why? Anybody got any guesses? Why are we talking about this? When the topic is Amish romance novels. Because that's what the Amish romance novels perpetuate. <sighs> the Amish romance novels make fluff and fun out of our real live trauma and experiences and I remember sitting in college in a college class and realizing that your voice was minimized and um, not believed within your community you fight you fight you fight to leave and it is horrible leaving you finally get out and you still have to fight to have a voice you still are not believed like I just sat there and I'm like, oh my word, it, it, it doesn't end. And the fluff and fun is only fluff and fun for those who have not experienced it. And there's people benefiting off of our lived experiences. And that's not to say all Amish Mennonite people are bad at all. Mm -mm. But it presents an unfair narrative, an untrue narrative. And coming from a background also of trauma, yes, reading books is an escapism for those that have been through mm -hmm. trauma. And 
the problem is when your escapism, what's been billed to you as, oh, this is a beautiful, idealistic thing to escape your own trauma, you end up stomping on other people's trauma. And it's like, think about what if we build your trauma that way? What if we build your background that way and you know better? Somebody tells you to stop or why, you need to take a step back and listen. What if? What if? For example, y'all know that Beverly Lewis and for those who don't know, Beverly Lewis is the one who primarily made Amish romance novels be the genre that it is. She has has profited immensely off of writing about Amish people and the way she writes about us. I, I will get into that. But she, it's estimated she makes over, over 500 uh, she's worth over 700,000 or you know, like she's, she's worth a lot of money and the Amish romance novel industry generates annually anywhere from $677,000 to $1.4 million. I think if I'm not mistaken, I'd have to go look it up. But the point is, is these romance novels um, they have perpetuated narratives and basically they are taking our trauma. Now I lied, it's $1.4 billion according to an article from the week. $1.4 billion annually. Just, just, just let that sink in. Annually. Who are the people that are reading these books? And why do they read these books? Because these books, it's dehumanizing how we're depicted. I myself stayed up last night to finish a Beverly Lewis book called The Tinderbox, by the way, that physically made me ill because I wanted to understand better what the appeal is. And I was talking to my friends about it. And one of my friends, Seth, actually said something that I think y'all might, it might help people understand better what these books actually are. It's like evangelical Christianity meets Little House on the Prairie and appropriates Amish culture to do so. Absolutely. And, and, the because the these Amish themed romance novels are not written for Amish people anymore than Little House on the Prairie TV show was made for pioneers in the 1800s. They would be gagging at our aren't they made for people who are living with a sense of nostalgia about the good old days people who sit there and they think in the good old days it was easier because it was a simpler life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I had somebody sit down. I have a, um, I have a digital library of over 40,000 files. Mm -hmm. Thanks to a friend that worked for a particular company. It was a book dump. So the dump is everything from eroticism to history to every, just literally everything. 
And I had a cousin when I was in South Carolina invite me over when we are both part of the same current group, but she invited me over. And I think it was partially because, oh, you used to be Mennonite. She asked me to give her transfer every Amish romance that was in that file dump, give her copies of them because she just was obsessed because it's oh, so yes. idealistic. And I'm like, you don't understand. You've never lived in community. You do not know what this, you, you, this is not representative. Furthermore, in the Beverly Lewis book that I was reading, like it kind of gives the idea that like anybody can join the Amish. <laughs> not even anybody. And they well accepted. Oh. And you know, this whole idea of like somebody Amish going to the Mennonites for, for counseling or ministry, like, like, I'm, I'm sorry, like, no. And then the, the vernacular of the language she uses to describe Amish people, it portrays us, she portrays us as backwards, kind of dumb, kind of like ignorant not really knowledgeable she portrays an image of perhaps what she perceived amish women amish people to be and specifically even amish women to be when she spent two weeks visiting i'm sorry she did not live amish if you went and you stayed with an amish family for two weeks you were a visitor you did not live amish they treat you as a guest you get the guest experience you're not getting the real lived, you're beholden to the rules experience. Which and makes also, me wonder, like, what is it that white women have to gain by this narrative? Like, I get the yucky stuff with men, and I, I get that, but like, the only thing I can think of that white women are getting from this is not good stuff. Like it's clickbait. It's it's like they present Amish people like we have some kind of cognitive disability and we can't think for ourselves. Does it does it make them feel powerful? Does it make them feel smart? Like I keep trying to figure out and come up with a good um, perspective that they might have on it, and I just can't come up with anything kind. Well, I mean, and, and let's be clear, it's not just one person who does this. Right, right. This is not just one person. This is a repetitive experience for many of us. We face this on a daily basis in our jobs, in our relationships, even in our, right. um, in, in whatever environment that we're in, when we go to college or we go to school, you know, if we go to any type of higher learning in, in, institution and we're taking courses there, if we write about our Amish experience, even our instructors there tend to gaslight us about our Amish experiences. They write down, they grade down our papers because, you know, we should have written from a real perspective because Amish are not really like that. We get this on every level of society. When we try to go to a different church, if we talk about the things we experience, how are we received by that church? I think... When I think back, it's been a long time since I've read any of those novels, and I've, um, you know, I, I, it only took me a few to kind of 
<laughs> to realize it was not my uh, not my scene. But, not your scene. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> but one, what struck me is that the way that that Amish women are characterized in these books um, are as um, you know, like pearl clutching, just old fashioned versions of kind of standard white evangelical Protestants, but like just in a buggy. Right. But they're like that same pearl clutching, um, uh, fragile kind of person or character. And when when the reality is that that Amish, the Amish women I know are nothing like that. Um, and, and they don't understand. So basically they are seeing what it does for them is it gives them a way of imagining themselves just in a buggy or in a cop. But they don't understand that there, or, or they, they refuse to understand that there are other differences. Amish are not simply uh, an old fashioned version of white evangelical Protestants. They are German. They are the, the, the descendants <laughs> of German peasants and Anabaptists. I mean, and, and there is a whole cultural there, there there's a whole set of cultural distinctions that come with that that they are completely blind to and but but what it does for them to imagine that these Amish women are just an old-fashioned version of themselves it's like they can see themselves then as being more evolved because they're more modern and so they've come further along so they can identify with the parts of Amish women that they want to identify with the, you know, very feminine, very traditionally feminine um, features. But then at the same time, they can feel so much more evolved than these backwards, old fashioned. So what you're saying and, and what I personally feel is that these these novels, they give women, especially white evangelical women or white, you know, women who who really love these romance novels because, you know, there's Jeanette Harder who wrote in a 2021 research paper. She said, due to cultural expectations, the Amish are not often in the practice of critiquing or analyzing their own thoughts or behaviors or thinking abstractly. Anybody that would write something like that and feel safe to publish that in a research paper holds a position of superiority to the very people that they're purporting to help. And they have done this because they benefit from it. And it's not just profiting off of it. Like this specific person, she profited from publishing it, co-writing a book with like an old order Mennonite man. They, she founded an organization who had received a grant. They disseminated over 46,000 copies of that book to playing Amish and Mennonite homes, wherein she recommends the booklet to a girl of 11 and facilities like Whispering Hope, which she admits in a later email to Tara Mitchell that she did not vet the facilities beyond visiting a couple of them. And she didn't even say which ones she visited or how she vetted them. There was no, 
no requirement for them to meet anything in order for her to include them as a recommended resource. Further, in the same article, she also tells readers that Amish women can't speak unless the patriarch is present. So, hey, let's hear from y'all. <laughs> I'm sorry, oh. my patriarch is not here. Oh. Say what? I said, I'm sorry, my patriarch is not here. <laughs> <laughs> I unloaded that near 300 pounds. <laughs> you know, one time in complete frustration, I looked at one of my professors and I said, it would not be okay for you to speak of this or speak this way of any other people group. Can you help me understand why it's okay to speak this way of the Amish? He was extremely angry with me for that question, but I'm reaching the conclusion. And again, it doesn't sound kind, but I'm reaching the conclusion. People like him, people like Jeanette Harder, these experts kind of want to keep us stupid and they kind of want to keep us silent. They want to keep us not speaking unless the patriarch is present. Like they have a lot to benefit from our silence. Mm -hmm. If you speak, then you're taking away their um, authority on the subject or viewed authority on the subject. Oh, oh, this professor told me he's more of an expert on the Amish than I am. And I just, I, I was fired up and I'm like, so how does that work for you when you sit in their church services or go to their family gatherings? I'm like, how does that work? How do your Dutch conversations go, by the way? Mm -hmm. Oh, he, I mean, <laughs> yeah, he was mad. And so was so, I. I was like, that is ridiculous. But these are the exact conversations you have within the community. Your voice still doesn't matter within the community. Now I'm here struggling through college. And you're giving me the same story. Like what? Mm -hmm. So how does this relate to like Beverly Lewis? Do you think she's benefited from the prestige of like going and living <laughs> Amish for two weeks? And people do you think, think that people, do you think that people who say that Beverly Lewis committed no wrong? Do you think that like, how, how do y'all feel about that statement? And what are, what are your thoughts? I think, to me, Beverly Lewis hanging her credentials on the fact that she has a genetic connection to Amish people and, um, and having spent two weeks with them and having maybe grown up around them. Like, to think that that gives you an insider's view says more about you than anything else. And what it tells you is you are an outsider for sure, because that kind of community, there's no kind of in, kind of out. You're either in or out. And when you are, um, when you're a visitor, you get one experience. And when you're a member, you get a very different experience. And to think that you can get the experience in two weeks tells me you don't know a thing. I was discussing this with a friend of mine this week and, um, this is how I described it was my grandmother was born. I have a grandmother that was born black and died white. Yes, I know. I blend into the blinds here. Um, but 
I can never say that I can walk just because I have black descendancy does not mean that I can or ever can or ever will walk in the shoes of a black woman. I will never have that lived experience. I will never be able to speak for them and what they go through. I can research into my ancestry. I can find out and try to find connections to that part of my family. That's not my lived experience and not a place where I can speak from. And same with Beverly Lewis. Not only that, but I looked up this morning. Everybody's like, oh, she's Amish descended. And I looked up Old Order Mennonite. Not the same thing. Not the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's another thing. It's like in reading Beverly Lewis's book, I had the thought at one point, like, does she think that Old Order Mennonite and Amish are interchangeable? Uh -uh. Is that where this idea? No, that's not true. (laughs) Is that where this idea, have y'all ever heard, um, Jasper Hoffman was a guest on Cults to Consciousness about six months ago, eight months ago, actually, I think it was like August. And one of the things she said was she could not get people to listen to Mennonite stories until she included the Amish. Is this part of the reason why? Is this part of Beverly Lewis's, like, her her legacy? Should her legacy really be Amish romance novels? Should it not be the fact that she has disenfranchised Amish women and children disproportionately and Amish people? She has disenfranchised them from having a voice. And not only that, she's also disenfranchised Mennonite survivors of abuse. Yeah, She has silenced them and overwritten their voices and rewritten their stories to be Amish stories. Yep. So to follow up on that, what do we do with leaders? who present Beverly Lewis as actually a good author and who consider themselves experts on other issues related to cults, but view Beverly Lewis as credible, um, fluff and fun. Like one, one, they're recreating high control group structure. Two, they're positioning themselves as superior to Amish women. Mm-hmm. Three, what are they gaining from that? Clicks. What are they gaining from that? And why is it okay for you to take our trauma and the source of one of the ways in which Amish women have disproportionately been harmed? And for example... I have a message that I have consent to read to all of you, just as an example of some of the ways in which Amish women are disenfranchised or women in general are disenfranchised by these romance novels. This is what happens. My daughter's dad is ex-Amish. He is a Nebraska Amish. I'm not telling you where he's from. His church is full of child abuse and molestation. When I left him, my daughter got stuck with him. He tricked me into signing my my rights over and I can't afford a lawyer. I was afraid she was molested. I did everything I could, but the local government doesn't care. Literally at all. I was told I'd go to jail if I make another report. He refuses to take her to a therapist. She screams and cries all of the time, and he says she just needs hit more. I don't understand why I can't help her and why nobody cares. 
I understand. <laughs> I understand. I also understand that I've facilitated trainings for child advocacy centers and domestic violence centers. And what I've heard from advocates who work in the field of interpersonal and domestic violence and crisis centers is that they had previously received trainings prior to receiving the training from the Misfit Amish. What they received was a training and multiple trainings that told them if Amish women called them, they are to refer them back to the community of origin for resources. You don't tell a Catholic survivor to go to the Catholic church for support and resources. You don't tell a Jehovah's Witness survivor, go back to the Jehovah's Witness church for resources and support. And you don't it. tell an independent fundamentalist Baptist survivor to go back to the church for support and resources. You don't tell the Mormon survivor that. So why is it okay to tell the Amish survivor that? Why? And let's not kid ourselves. Local governments and economy play into this. I mean, I live in Big Lancaster time. County, okay? This is where everybody comes for tourism. And we know it's the same in Indiana and Wisconsin and other places where there is high amount of Anabaptists. There are also going to be high amounts of tourism because everybody wants to go see the Amish and the buggies. Um, yeah, it is exactly that. This area now relies on tourism. What happens if we start overturning and start actually they start actually doing their job and make it into the news on top of that. Uh, not just the one or two sexual offenders make it into the Lancaster newspaper, but actually doing the job. Then you're going to lose tourism and money. And to be clear, for those who don't know, just in 2022 alone, Lancaster County, which is one county, generated an estimated $2.4 billion in tourism. Just to be clear, that's one county in one state. Yep. What state was that? Huh? What was that? What, what, what was the location? Lancaster County. Oh, Lancaster County. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. 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 Go ahead, Rebecca. I have so many thoughts. There, <laughs> there are so many people benefiting. And I just keep thinking, you know, we're not asking anyone, including podcasters, to fight our battles. Like, no one has to do that for us. But just don't pretend that our battles are fluff and fun. And just don't use our battles for clickbait or for your profit or to build your expertise. Like, just don't. Like, we don't get on and talk about other people groups and, 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 and make them fluff and fun. And if it's not okay to do for other people groups, it's not okay to do with the Amish either. This could have gone a whole different way, direction of, yes, there is a point to talk about why, okay, 
being raised IFB, why certain books would be popular within a very high control group, <laughs> why it would be okay to read them. That is all fine and dandy. That is important actually, because there are reasons. Um, <laughs> But and what did it? But what did it also lead to? Where is that coming from? What are the problems with it? But it's when you step out of your lane and start repeating facts from badly <laughs> written articles and ignoring the people that have lived it. Can I, I just mock? Yeah. Can I just mock the fact that Anabaptists are Calvinists? <laughs> can we, can we take a moment and appreciate that nonsense? Oh, man. Like, no, no. Really? No. Oh, oh. There are a few things that I was clear about on our theology when we were growing up, but I was clear on the fact that we were not Calvinists. We were not Calvinists. Can we also talk about the fact that like these romance novels, they evangelicalize yes. Amish theology. And oh my we do not, we are not evangelicals. We are not evangelicals. If you are listening to this, if you have one takeaway, Amish are not evangelicals. I don't know of a single Amish church that is evangelical. Or Calvinist. <laughs> no. And even Mennonites who will pass out tracts. Certain groups, but that's Mennonites. That's Mennonites. I know, but but my point is, at the end of the book, when they become Mennonite and start talking about being born again, the Mennonites didn't believe in being born again. That was IFB (laughs) and SBC. We believe being raised that we believe in born again. No, 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 no. Mennonites do too. The the, Beachy Amish. The the Beachy. Oh, uh, like the old order Mennonite? Because the Beachy Amish definitely do, but but that I think is largely because of evangelical influence. Uh, you see, the EPAC well, did not. It's it's a it's Eastern. Mm hmm. Did not really? believe in being born again. Oh, it was a different terminology. Well, okay. Because let that me, really surprises let me use me. it this way: once saved, always saved. Maybe I should oh. say. Oh, oh, we that were definitely not that. No, we were not that. We were not once they I feel yeah, it was the sure, evangelical sure. influence, but also the the my family mm-hmm. um, was more um, um, educated and more um, biblical, and they had the truth. Like my parents always spoke about the fact that the Amish have the hope of salvation, which the more I deconstruct, the more I see value there. But anyway, okay, my okay. parents, on the other hand, had the assurance of salvation. Mm-hmm. Like they mm-hmm. were right. going to heaven. I know that's that's not biblical if you read Romans. Like let's let's really go there. What is <laughs> Amish theology and what is old order Amish theology? Let's go read Romans and talk about the hope of salvation. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Agree. Thank you, Rosanna. Oh, yeah. Rosanna said I was confusing one saved, always saved with born again because they Ah, kind of overlap at times depending upon which group you're in. Okay. Because, no, in in my family, I mean, man, you repented at every altar. I repented at every altar call. Um. And and the born again thing was a big deal. That that was a big deal. We yeah no. And, 
I remember like going to, um, it was an Amish relative's funeral or something like that. And I remember um, afterwards, my dad talking about a conversation he had had with some relative there. And he had asked him, they had a very explicit conversation about, um, about being born again and, and about being, no, no, no assurance of salvation, assurance mm -hmm. of salvation. And my dad had had enough evangelical influence to be uh, to feel strongly that that you that assurance of salvation was attainable and 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 this person he spoke to had I think had had agreed with him on that and my dad was like just so overjoyed that an Amish man believed in the assurance of salvation because that meant he was really a Christian. Let's be real though. I don't know about Mennonite theology because I've, I've never lived it. All I know is like what guests have shared mm -hmm. and, and, you know, what experiences we have. So we can't really say exactly what Mennonite. Sure. Right. right. I was, Let's be real. Like, I'm not right. like JC was, was somebody who lived in various churches, the, the flavors of churches JC lived in. And I'm, I'm glad you're here to speak to that because that's important to recognize too, is there, there are various branches of Mennonite, but also Mennonite is not Amish. No, it's not. And Amish is not Mennonite. The two terms are not interchangeable. Right. And even just like using words born again. Yeah. It, you notice how that can bleed over between theologies. Yeah. Like I, IFB is once saved, always saved. And another group can use the same terminology of born again, but what they mean by that is not always going to fit the same space as it does in another group, mm -hmm. which is why like me with having been in multiple group, theological groups, they can bleed over at times. Um, so yeah, even I can miss step. Hello. <laughs> yeah, we all can, but here's the, here's the important part is like, what do we do when we miss step? How do we handle that? Do we sit there and, and continue? Like, I want to know this It's like, I've, I've recently like, you know, been made aware of some of the content out there. Um, you know, people have written about the harm of Amish romance novels previously. I've written about it previously. I'm pretty sure most of us have talked about it. Like at least Rebecca, Naomi, Naomi, mm -hmm. Naomi, <laughs> you had it right. Naomi. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Ruth, uh, like I'm sure like we've talked about this. Mm -hmm. We have talked about this because it happens repetitively. It is not an isolated incident. It is almost the norm. This is almost the norm. And for the people who think that we should just never talk about being Amish or being raised Amish, here's the thing. Being born and raised Amish affects every aspect of your life, If you, mm -hmm. even if you become non-practicing. Not only that, we have a genetic aspect. Some of us can't really get away from that because some of us have genetic disorders. Let's be real. You can't outrun that. You cannot get away from that. Not only that, when you try to build connections with people and when you try to explain like your lack of education or perhaps why you may use English as a different in a different way than what the cultural norm is and why you may not understand certain things. But it also doesn't mean that we're dumb or cognitively impaired or that we lack critical thinking capabilities or self-reflection capabilities, which are displayed in these romance novels and in academic papers and in media of all sorts. You know, we are people. 
whole ass people. And some of the stereotypes about us are, is that we really love, we just love having as many children as possible, which is also in the Beverly Lewis book that I read. But go ahead, name. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just, you know, before we got on here, um, uh, we had been, some of us have been talking about um, kind of having these different parts of our lives and feeling like uh, it, it kind of being difficult to integrate parts of our lives. And in this conversation here, I'm realizing um, why I have worked very hard in my um, non-practicing Amish life, in my professional life, to distance myself from that. Like I don't, um, I am very, very cautious about um talking about my background, I, you know, most work situations, I, I, I do everything I can to avoid that. And it's because of this, it's because of this. And, and I, and, and what that leads to is a very fractured life too, right? Because then you become a person without, um, you know, a past and you people make all kinds of assumptions about you that are not true, but to tell them the whole long story and risk that they're going to be, they're going to make things weird. Mm, do you really want to go there? And so in, in, in a lot of ways, it's easier to, to live a more fractured life. And, um, but that's also not satisfying. Um, so not to make this about me, but it just kind of put things together for me there. But about, like, if you can hide it, unable it, it's to, easier to. You're unable to live authentically as who yeah. you are. You can't be who you are because the world has weaponized that against you. Your whole identity is caught up in a part of you that the world has weaponized against you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it happens so repetitively that it is safer. It feels safer for you to deny that part of you yeah. in front of the world so that you don't have to always be that person. Yeah. But then yes. you're not you yes. feel like you're not you, you feel like you're not being true to yourself right. you're not right you're not really allowed to be authentically you right and we've proven that it happened it hurts you in education as well like rebecca's experience also how many of us have geds i know i do i got told this past year even though i've been to college multiple times i just don't have a degree so that doesn't count. My GED is the last degree I have. So that's what counts. And I was informed by the head of a sonography program that she did not think I would be capable of doing the math and science because I only have a GED. It affects us. And those, those of you that have come out of community, what's the degree you're most likely to get first? Get your GED, your diploma. I was lucky. I went to a high school with, um, with Baptist curriculum. It was a church high school. So I have, I happen to have a high school, high school diploma, but, uh, was it a Becca? No. Oh, oh my. ACE. Oh, oh, that's worse. <laughs> yeah, I'm it is. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, cringe. Don't, don't ask me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, mm. I, the I, fact I, that I am an academic today is, uh, it really makes me a freak of nature. I just, I want to check in with Ruth. I feel like Ruth has something yeah. to say. Um, I, I love listening. One of the things that I've, I've seen, and also I think it's because I'm like 
much more newly out of that culture than you guys are, I still have like so many questions of like, what's normal? Like, yeah. Yeah. How, what do you guys do? Thankfully, I have a safe group of people that I can ask that. And they don't like, they recognize that I know other things. I'm not stupid. This is just not like. It's not something, it's not something you've experienced with. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. But also, yeah. that doesn't make me stupid. Yeah. But exactly. I have, like, I have experienced that with others, you know, where, like, I think it was Veterans Day, and I was like, okay, so, like, and I asked some friends, I was like, so, what's the, what's the, like, appropriate way to, like, recognize veterans today, you know, and there's a difference between Veterans Day and Memorial Day, you know, and, like, that's stuff that people growing up outside of our culture know, but here I am at 28 asking that for the first time, and, um, I've experienced both where people are like, let me, like, they'll explain it very sweetly and not in a condescending way. But then there's also other people who are like, oh, well, you're kind of stupid. Mm-hmm. And then there's say, the I, people. Or even yeah. like, I haven't, I would love to get into college. It's one of my big ones. But, you know, people are talking about like their freshman year and their sophomore year. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, the unfamiliar language because it's, we do use English in a different way as well, not yeah. just, yeah. It's called the hidden curriculum. That's the term yeah. for that, Ruth. Yeah. Some of us need a book. Nobody gives us yes. a handbook of the exactly. society we step into that we're just expected to know, particularly if we look like we belong to that society. Yeah. But I just want to make an offhand comment, Ruth. I think you're giving the mainstream culture too much credit for knowing the difference between Veterans Day and Memorial Day. <laughs> I don't think they, I don't think most of them have even thought to ask the question. And and to okay. them, it's just like whatever. So I'm in. You have more picnics on Memorial Day. That's all. Okay. <laughs> veterans, veterans know the difference. They should know the difference. Oh, yes, and yes. If they don't know I, the I, difference, I, I'm I'm here to tell you like yeah. no. Yeah. Um, but I did want to touch on something that Ruth brought up for me and that is the fact that sometimes even when we try to date you know can we be open and honest with people about where we came from and then you have people that either they they objectify us and they want us to to like dress up in like our formerly plain garb because for some reason that 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 should lend itself well to smexy times. You know, that's that's real sexy, right? Anyways, or they can also be the flip side and they can be like, I don't want to hear about it. They don't want us to teach our children the language. They don't want us to talk about our culture. They don't want us to, to bring anything to the table, but make good food and bake good things and do all the, the housework and the cooking and the cleaning and the mm-hmm. gardening and and all of that, but we can't even talk about our culture and our heritage. Or they mock it. Or they oh, mock yeah, that anything that's different, anything that's slightly different. Yeah. yeah. And then when we Absolutely. we don't have movie reference, because uh, because I'm, I will be the first person to tell y'all I'm pop, pop culture illiterate. And I do not care about it. I do not care. <laughs> I do not want a list of 20 freaking movies I have to watch. I literally had somebody that made me sit down and watch movies. Because you're so pop culturally illiterate. You're so naive. This is where this comes from. No, I'm not naive. I'm just different. I just came from a different culture. 
And if you have no interest, you have no interest. And if I don't want to watch these movies, I don't have to watch these movies. So for the love of everything, can y'all stop telling us what movies we need to watch? Because I'm telling you, I'm not going to watch them. I'm not even going to make a list. I'm not even going to tell you I'm going to make a list. Because at this point, I really don't get, I don't care. And to follow, care. to follow up with what Ruth was saying. So I was disinherited. And it took me a bit me to too. realize no one outside of the Amish culture knows what disinherited means. It's disowned. Like I have to use the, if, if you say disinherited outside of the culture, no one knows what it means. And um, the other thing people don't understand is the whole thing of giving your money home until you're 21. Yeah. Like Whoa. people don't yeah. understand that. And I mean, I literally left home with a hundred dollars to my name and people don't, don't understand that. No, I literally could not keep any of my money. Mm -hmm. yeah. Rebecca. And that you I may was... have been working full time. Since oh, she like was. She oh, was. I was. Trust me. Yeah. Uh -huh. My nieces and nephews are in that situation yeah. now. That's how it was for me. And my dad I, was still the same. He's like, you're so expensive. And I'm like. I've literally been bringing thousands of dollars home for you that I have none. Yeah. And there's, there's a person on social media who is um, studying the Amish culture for um, a project she's doing. And she put on some advertisements in the paper and was talking about how cute it was. And one of the advertisements she used was an ad looking for a 14-year-old female. And she thought it was cute and so reflective of the culture. It is exploiting females. And no one, no one works cheaper and harder than a 14-year-old female. Mm -hmm. It is not please. cute. It is not okay for you to use it for your project. Like, so why is it okay for Amish 14 year old girls to be working full time when their peers are going to high school? They're supposed to be getting an education. Because the US Supreme Court said it's okay. In 1972, with Wisconsin versus Yoder, they legitimized this labor. And Beverly Lewis's books, they did. And they did it on the justification of, like, Amish people don't commit crimes, which you can read all about in the footnotes. <laughs> but anyways, and Beverly Lewis literally glosses over that child labor. These romance novels, so I read two romance novels, one by Linda Byler and one by Beverly Lewis. Linda Byler's has some really gross content. Yes. Beverly Lewis's book made me physically ill. And they, then we have leaders saying she's actually a good author. <laughs> she's not a good author. She can't even keep her story straight. We're working copy editing. She's not a good author. <laughs> And fills a niche. That's all she does. And so many people are so ignorant of like the Amish culture. She gets to be a terrible author. People don't realize it, and she's still making bank off of yeah. it. Yeah. And the books are so bad. Like Mary yeah. was reading it out loud last night. 
And I had to pay such close attention to like figure out what was going on because one sentence we're talking about um, Sylvia and the next sentence we're talking about her mom and then we're talking about a cat. Or the like, covering strings that hang down to her purple bodice or something, right? Was oh, that a oh, line? <laughs> oh, no. Let me let me tell you about this one. Or how about this for a date? I, I just want to hear from y'all about this. How about this for a date? The boy, Titus, he writes a letter to Sylvia. He's going to take her out for ice cream. And they're going to go on a double date with another couple, and they all four get in the same buggy. I'm sorry we didn't do double dates that that way. I I, I didn't. I never seen that. But anyways, okay. There's a lot of Amish. Okay, they go out to an ice cream parlor in New Holland, PA, with cats. They get their ice cream, and there's cats. Where they're sitting outside, and there's a peacock fanning his feathers in the yard, and off in the distance, there's cows. Or, or, then like a mom, scene from Mary Poppins. Sorry, <laughs> having lived outside of um, New Holland on Amish Town Road, of all places. Um, <laughs> what, JC? What? I'm trying to figure out where, where where is this ice cream parlor with all the cats? Well, I'm trying to figure out where the peacock is or the cows because I've been to New Holland. There, there were peacocks in southern Illinois, but <laughs> not in New Holland. And, and also, for the love of everything, like, you, you know, like, I, I was supposed to get married as an Amish person. I was supposed to get married and I escaped like five months before I was supposed to get married. I dated. I dated, y'all. I dated. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't go to an ice cream parlor. (laughs) Or double date. Or, okay, shall we talk about bundling? Like, it is not a thing like everyone wants to act like it's a thing. It was more of a colonial thing. Well, and there might be. Oh, go ahead. So the thing that I would say is that like people people have this colonial definition of bundling, and when we talk about the bed courtship, like we we mm-hmm. didn't necessarily call it bundling. It was called bed yeah. courtship. Yeah. I I did live in five different settlements. I will tell you that some of those settlements did allow bed courtship and that was approved, mm-hmm. but it wasn't the thing of like the bundling. It had its origins in bundling right. the same origins, but it is not that. And and how and, did we whole totally miss the whole stair stumping? Like that's a whole thing. Stair stumping? Oh, tell her. I'm listening. I, I haven't heard of that one either. So is it more of an Ohio thing? Ohio Mary, are you not familiar with it? Stall stomping. So so the girl who is available for a date leaves um, a light on in her window. And then 
guys who are looking for a date stump up the stairs announcing their arrival. Like it happened to accidentally happen to my sister. We were at my Amish grandparents and we had driven and gotten there late and she left a light on too long. And there were literally Amish boys that showed up at her door. <laughs> That's a specific type of Amish thing. So, so you wouldn't have experienced that, Mary? That was not how we dated. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of that either. But, but, See, but let me tell show you the variation. Right. Let me, let, me, let me tell you something else. Okay. First off, like, if you fall out the buggy, if you fall out the buggy, <laughs> there is something wrong. Let's be real. If you fall out the buggy, there's something wrong. If somebody has to help you out the buggy, there's something wrong. Thank you. <laughs> and, and furthermore, okay, so the way we dated, I, I dated somebody from a different settlement, okay? In our settlement, we were supposed to sit across from each other at the kitchen table, you know, and there was supposed to be a light on. But in the settlement that the boy was from, he was supposed to go sit in the living room on a rocking chair and the girl was supposed to go sit on his lap. I have seen a YouTube video of an Amish guy demonstrating that. I did hear about that. Yeah. So how did that work with you two coming from different traditions on that? Oh, Lordy, we don't have enough time to get into that, okay. Casey. <laughs> We're not going to do that. That's like a whole other well, thing. Two traditions <clears throat> trying to figure stuff out, so... Um. But also, like, when you go back to, like, the romance novels, Ruth, did you have something you wanted to talk about, too? This was, um, this is just something I'd like to bring up in regards to what we were talking about um, working earlier. Mm -hmm. And I never grew up in the big, like, the big Amish communities. I was always part, like, we, we always lived in, like, the smaller communities out in the middle of nowhere. So this is my experience. I'm not saying it's the same for everyone. But our community was like, parents in our community were specifically told not to get birth certificates for their children when they were born. Mm -hmm. So they wouldn't get drafted. So it was harder for them to leave. So they couldn't get a driver's license. All the things. So I was working from the time I... Like, I remember being in seventh and eighth grade and having to, like, leave school and go to a job, working at a sawmill, you know? And then after I got out of school or during the summer, I was working, was never able to keep my own money. And it wasn't until I was 23 that I, my neighbor, took pity on me and let me work for him. Because, you know, I didn't have a social security number. You can't get a social security number, so you can't really hold a job um, unless it's under the table. Know, like, yes, under the table. Um, so I've been working all this time, but didn't have any money. I didn't have a birth certificate. And we're Mennonites, you know, at this time. So, like, I couldn't drive. Didn't have my own um, driver's license or anything. I had to work for a year for my neighbor 
he was really sweet. He paid me in cash and stuff to raise money to get an attorney to get my birth certificate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to prove that you exist. Yes, at 23, mm-hmm. I had to pay thousands of dollars to get my own birth certificate that I'm still having problems with because it's a delayed birth certificate. Mm-hmm. And, so, and let, me, let me ask you something. Mm-hmm. Like, was your birth even registered? No, no. Okay. Because my grandma delivered me in a state where midwifery wasn't legal. She was, you know, the Amish midwife. So she didn't want to get in trouble. So she had no documents of anything. Right. Um, so no, like I literally did not exist until I was 23. I just appeared. Um, but like I'm still trying to get my passport. I've been working on that for like years. And it's always been rejected. Because I don't have military ID. And to make things worse, you know, like in Amish school, they give you like paper report cards. Everything's on paper. We had a house fire. All of those records burned. Like everything that would have worked because it was like old records, all of that burned. So, like, all of a sudden there's this human being that says she's been alive for 23 years, but nobody has any record of anything. And she was born in America, but she doesn't exist. She's yeah. not even a whole person, even yeah. though she's an American. You don't have yeah. citizenship even. Nope. Mm-hmm. Without you it. can't even vote. And let's you just can't. pause and say, Ruth, like your fight is so brave and it is so hard and it is so, um, 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 You've been silenced. You've been you've been dismissed. You've been like you've been erased. You've been erased. And Ruth, I do want to say that there are a lot of people, a lot of people, particularly females your age that are going through this right now, because I remember being a young parent and knowing people that were refusing to register their child's births and refusing to have them have social security cards for various mostly religious reasons i just and want so, to say whole generation oh, now go ahead i just want to say ruth as somebody who escaped with nothing but a high school diploma and the piece of paper that said i was a member of the old order amish church who was also delivered by my grandmother who was a midwife i see you and i know I know. Yeah. And it's hard. Yeah. Can I just ask, what is the difference between the scenarios, the experiences Ruth has had, Mary has had, what is the difference between that and trafficking? You know, giving, being, being, being required to give money home. How is that different from trafficking? Somebody, somebody enlighten me. Naomi, we, we can't talk about it being trafficking because <coughs> it offends people's sensibilities. Oh, it's cultural. Trafficking oh. your kids is cultural. It's religious. So we're going to be so, we're going to be, we're going to. No, it's, it's a religion. We literally get told it's a religion. And the experts in cults don't understand. And, and when I say experts, I'm quotes, <laughs> air quotes. <laughs> 
don't understand that it's problematic. That And they want to call it fluff and fun or whatever it is they want to call it. No, you actually don't get to do that. You actually don't get to profit off of, off of another culture and whatever crap we've had to deal with because of it. You don't get to do that. And let's, and let's be clear, the larger, the broader culture is implicated because they make it possible. I mean, these communities could not exist as they do without depending on the broader culture. But at the same time, they're cutting off their children at the knees to make to 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 maintain control over their children. So their children can't have uh, religious freedom. So their children don't have choices. I mean, and this is American. I mean. Oh, and and, go ahead, Ruth. Um, so I was like in school. So I went to a school. I went in Amish school. I went to eighth grade. But by the time I started getting into like sixth grade, you know, when you should be learning about algebra, all that stuff, they were like, "We're never going to need that as an Amish housewife." Like I was literally told that you know your fractions so you can pick and bake, and then we would skip that. And that makes me so angry now because. I'm like, you don't, you don't have to decide for me what I'm going to be. Because look who's not an Amish housewife. Look who wasn't even accepted in the Amish church. So, like, thanks for nothing. You know, I, I say this. Like, I was told what to wear, how to walk, how to talk. What I needed for an education what I wanted in life, what was going to fulfill me as a person and what to believe and who should tell me what to do and where to go and how to do all of those things. And look who's not doing it. (laughs) And Ruth, I just want to back up what you were talking about, about the, the lack of education. Um, I had a professor who told me that, excuse me, sorry, that my education was better than um, the average high schooler gets. And he said it with a straight face. He totally believed it. But yet when I tried to get into college, I had to take two non-college math classes just to get in. Like, right, right. Um, I think the disconnect on on how um, how much our education is lacking. I I don't think people get it. And and just know that I see you, I hear you, and what you're saying is true, and it is valid and it is not okay um and it doesn't mean you're stupid it doesn't mean um it just means you didn't get the opportunities other people have received those opportunities were purposely withheld right yeah they were purposely withheld to limit your choices and 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 the irony of all this i i made reference to and this is supposed to be american but like let's even go beyond that i mean the whole anabaptist 
Anabaptist shtick is that you follow your conscience, you follow your individual conscience instead of just, you know, being part of the, um, the, the official church that's handed down to you. Like that was the whole shtick. And now the culture is all about denying the children that same autonomy. I want, I want to say this. I don't know how many of you are aware that um, in 2022, I was invited to speak at a conference called Rights and Religions Forum in D.C. And I, my topic was education. One of the things that I mentioned there is like it, it was critical. Like I didn't know how to open a bank account or even that I could open a bank account without a man overseeing my money. I had a friend who helped me navigate that. Another thing was I had to receive an ID to be able to open a bank account. You can't open a bank account without a social security number, without ID. You have to have identification. In order for you to survive in the world, you need to have identification or somebody who's willing to pay you under the table. You just can't. Um, it also affects your ability to, to learn, like the way that we may learn might be different. Like for me, I applied for a youth program because I was 19 and I was accepted into a youth program and I had to have tutoring for some of the courses. Other, like it just, that's, that's what it was. I didn't know how to apply for a job. I didn't know how to write a resume. I didn't know how to dress for a job interview. I didn't know those things. So ultimately, no, go ahead. When you grow up in these cultures where you're told your entire life how to dress, when you suddenly don't have anyone telling you how to do that, you have no idea how to dress. Mm-hmm. So trying to dress up for an interview, like no one knows that. We have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we don't even know how to navigate the interviewing process and how to relate to people. It's another language. It's a language we didn't speak in. It's other it's other words. It's it's other um um skills like the 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 these are being given the tools the basic yeah, tools yeah. we we don't we don't have access to them because we've never had we've never had the opportunity to gain those skills and just because we've never had the opportunity to gain those skills doesn't mean we can't gain those skills right. it just means we've <laughs> never had the opportunity and then i don't know if any of you have ever experienced this but sometimes people really are really 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 rude and they tell us to go back to our own country and it's like i was born in america but this wasn't the america that you grew up in this isn't the america that you were born into and they cannot fathom the fact that we live such a vastly different life with such different experiences when we were born in America. Because the dominant culture does not, people in the dominant culture do not always recognize the fact that America is made of so many subcultures. Yes. Not just exactly. immigrant cultures, but subcultures. Absolutely. And Amish is a subculture of North America. Yes. And, and then, like, go ahead. Well, if I can just add on, I think another part of that adjustment that's difficult is when you've been raised with um, 
this idea of being um, passive, that like, if you're passive enough, God will take care of all the conflicts. If you are just nice enough, the bullies will stop bullying. If you are just, uh, you know, and, and, and that is not how you are successful in the workplace. Like, and I'm not saying you have to be a jerk, but you have to know how to negotiate. You have to know, because in the workplace, if you don't speak up, it's just, you know, like there's a whole different set of assumptions. Nobody's looking out for you if you're, if you are, and, but there's an assumption and and like, there's a whole set of skills. I I guess, I mean, I think of the statement that I heard growing up was that, well, if you can get along with your family, you can get along with anybody. And like, that was it. That was all you needed in terms of socialization. And no, it's not. It's not. Are you? Are you touching upon the fact that really what you need to do in the workplace sometimes is you need to advocate for yourself? Exactly. You need to advocate for yourself to have the tools that you need to be successful at your job. And that was Um, beaten and socialized out of us. Yes. And how gaining a backbone can actually help you. Keep your job or get your job back. Let's let's also talk about this. So this book, in the words of my cousin, is legitimately a book about children being abused that should teach us to be silent about it. We should be okay with being abused. It wasn't just socialized out of us. It was in our literature. Absolutely. Literally told me for years. Um, you have no rights. As Christians, mm-hmm. we have no rights. And then also, as your parents, we can do anything we want to because we're mm-hmm. our child. Which yes. was said to me in the moment while they were harming me. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you literally grow up thinking that you have no rights and that what they're doing is okay. Your property. Mm-hmm. You're basically yeah. a calf. And you property. deserve this. Oh, yeah. Somehow, and then you measure. You just, you know, you and and, and you're, you're asking for it. And when you're looking for a future husband, you, you measure the, the likelihood of your husband treating you good by the way your f- potential future husband treats animals. And then on top of all that, um, at least in some cultures, the whole, um, like God is wrapped up into that. Yeah. Like, 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 not only, not only are your parents um, in control and in charge and doing it because you deserve it, need it, blah, blah, blah. It's also for God. Hey, can I read you a line from a letter my oven wrote me? Your oven? I love how you call her your oven. I have a whole stack of letters still. <laughs> I I just, I gotta say <laughs> this, y'all. I'm a little slow. I burned, I burned a few of her letters. Good. Good. Okay, Good. But, but she's definitely an oven for a reason. And you know, sometimes... I think, well, was she really that bad? Um, um, dear daughter Mary, 
God keep you in his love today and be your special strength, I pray. God give you wisdom to pursue the extra tasks he gave to you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> God give you courage to proceed when the rest seems when rest seems rather what you need. He knows what weight your arms can bear and watches with his love and care. Is that what you're talking about, Rebecca? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And I have a stack of letters as well. Yeah. 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 So we're not talking just spirit or just physical abuse, sexual abuse, you know, whatever else. Mental there and is, emotional. They're spiritual. There is. And then don't do not come back and talk to us about the right way to see God. Just don't do it. Absolutely just not. just don't do it. Like for the love, do not do that. <laughs> Furthermore, it's it's infantilizing us. It's telling us that we, we are wrong. We are incapable of figuring things out. We're incapable of making decisions for ourselves. It's literally how the world infantilizes survivors as a whole. Not just Amish survivors. They do this to survivors. People do this mm -hmm. to survivors. They're like, oh, you have these adverse experiences. You have these emotions about it. You've experienced religious trauma. You've experienced sexual trauma. You've experienced sexual violence you've been trafficked, you've, etc. The list goes on and on and on. And when people see you as a victim, they can't see you as anything worth being around outside of your trauma. And because then, now we're damaged. And then you can't make any decisions for yourself because now you are damaged. Now you have no good decision-making skills even when you are literally displaying the symptoms of trauma and what you actually need is qualified trauma ser services and support mm -hmm. and resources. And that does not mean that somebody goes around and makes up so-called safe houses that are not actually safe houses. Mm -hmm or makes up a special line to call for Amish victims. No. Neither do we get to be your fluff and fun. Neither. Either or are harmful. Yeah. Um, but on that note, I'd like to go back to the educational deprivation because I said something in that conference that I think kind of is relevant mm -hmm. today. And the bottom line is that educational deprivation can affect you in a wide variety of ways. And it can include things that you may not necessarily know when you first escape. The secular world is like a whole different country when we escape. The educational world is like a whole different country when you escape. And so part of what we can do is, and what I'd like to invite each of you who's listening today, and thank you all for listening, by the way, is I'd like to invite each of you to learn more from directly from Amish people who are speaking up publicly. Mm -hmm. Because our voices do matter. Our experiences do matter. Furthermore, the people in academia who have excluded non-practicing Amish they have benefited from doing so. 
they have maintained their prestige. They have maintained their positions of power. They have profited off the backs of Amish children. And they have also profited off the backs of Amish women. And they have done this for a long time. And we need to have these conversations to better understand why this keeps happening and why it's such a repetitive and insidious act that is just an ongoing act of violence towards Amish women and children. So when we address these things, we have to also understand that within Amish culture, you have like the people who are at the top who are usually like the ministry. And when you have people who are a little below that, they're more privileged. They have more positions of power. They are, they are affluent. And then you have your middle-class people who are just your everyday Joes. Yeah. You know, they're, they're okay. You know, they, yeah. Or the people who are lower class or the people who are joined in, who are the very bottom of the totem pole. The people who are lower class, like sometimes like, you know, they, they really get disproportionately affected by this because what Amish academia has represented up until now is the most privileged people within Amish communities because it has benefited not just academia, it has benefited people who make movies about us, people who write TV shows about us, people who write Amish romance novels about us. Reporters have benefited from it. That is why it continues. Because to be Amish is not just a religion. It's a different culture. It's a business. And it's also an ethnic, ethnocentric religion. And with that, I'd like to ask each of you if you have any parting thoughts to leave with any of our guests who may be experiencing any of the things we've talked about today. You want to go first, Ruth? Um, yeah, sure. Thank you. And just to add on to what Mary just was saying, money also plays hugely into those different classes. Like if you are a wealthy Amish person, you are definitely like, you have more wisdom. And then you have someone who like, isn't, doesn't have as much money. Um, and they're stupid. And their kids are stupid. Um, but yeah, I just like to say that like what we're talking about, like our experiences that we've been sharing are directly related to like like we're not off we're not off topic when it's about the romance novels. Like these have been our experiences that these Amish romance novels and shows and movies are glorifying. This is what like this is what being Amish really has been for us, not like, not the romanticism in these books and movies. I think that's, yeah, that's what I have to say. Thank you, Ruth. I really appreciate that. And thank you for being here. What about you, JC? I'm going to speak more towards those that come from other high control groups and that there's a lot of crossover and commonality that we can come together on and where discussions can be very valid. We need to be careful 
of how we go about that though. We need to make sure that we're not invalidating other people to validate ourselves because there's a way of going about things. Here we've found a lot of commonality. Um, there, there's ways every group gets hurt and I'm saying this very badly, (laughs) but, um, yeah, we, we need to be careful not to be tromping on other people because of our own. Thank you, JC. What about you, name? Well, I think I want to speak to kind of one of the, we, we haven't really been talking about academics uh, in a very positive way uh, and for very good reason. I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, but speaking as an academic, um, I just want to say, you know, for anyone who is, um, who's trying to get to college or, 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 just trying to find their way anywhere right after after leaving um, a high control group like this. Um, please don't let the jerks keep you from trying. Please know that for every jerk and they are out there, there are many more who genuinely care. They might be a little bit awkward and they might <laughs> they might not. Uh, uh, <laughs> They might, their responses might not be exactly what we'd want, but they mean well, at least. And so, and, and if you keep looking, you will find people who genuinely care about you, who genuinely are going to help you. Don't be afraid to ask and um, believe your experience. You matter, your desires, your fears, your worries um, matter. And you pay attention to them. Just pay attention to them. Take them seriously. Take them seriously because they matter. And, um, and keep going, keep going. You're not, if you feel stuck, please don't give up. There's, there's a way to get unstuck and you are smart and you are going to find it. Thank you, Naomi. Such an important thing to recognize. What about you, Rebecca? So I've had, and I remember feeling this way too, um, when you start the process, when you think about starting the process of, of leaving, of, of changing, of, of, of whatever, whatever you're looking at, um, it's overwhelming and there's so much we don't know. And I think it's easy to talk our way out of it or even take the podcaster or the professor or the whoever as a sign that maybe you're doing it wrong. And I think wherever you find yourself, and I think, Naomi, did you say this? Believe your story. Believe yourself. You are the expert of your life. And if now it's too overwhelming to try and get your GED, that's okay. That doesn't make you a loser. 
if now it's too overwhelming to speak up publicly, that's okay. That's okay. Trust your process. Trust your voice. But if you're coming out of a high controlled environment, you know how to navigate and negotiate with those other leaders. And some of those skills hold true here. Mm -hmm. Like I am constantly surprised at how, though it is different, it is still the same. <laughs> like when I looked at my college professors as some of my pastors, it was like, oh, I know how you think. So while, while yes, it is very different, some of those skills are the same. And some of those skills are going to serve you in ways that other people don't know how to. So trust yourself, believe yourself, and don't let anyone else be the expert of your life. Thank you, Rebecca. That's a really important part. And it's also ironic because I actually do that in my workplace. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I'm just saying. Like I actually do that. So, so there is that. Yes, you have skills. But with that being said, I am going to bring this to a close. Thank you all for being here and for sharing your perspectives. I think that I would like to specifically recognize that you know everybody's experience with trauma and navigating life after trauma in a meaningful way can vary, and people can can really find different ways to find meaning and joy in their life after experiencing trauma or exiting a high control religious group. But whatever ways you do that, they're not necessarily wrong unless you're harming other people. And then at that, I would, I would ask you to stop. But regardless, you do deserve, as a human being, you deserve to have human rights. You deserve to live a life that is filled with joy and love and compassion and happiness and meaning. And I want to thank our, our Patreon subscribers for bringing you this program today. It is um, amazing that we have your support. Thank you very much. Thank you to all of our panelists. And this podcast was brought to you by the Misfit Amish and art by BJK. Please like, comment,